Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. And this is Hamza. Salute to David, who is out today. But he is going to miss out. Uh, one of our most popular podcasts was with uh, Michael Tamora. And those that don't know Michael Tamora, he uh, had a near-death experience. And everyone keeps calling me about what do you know about near-death experiences and such? And I didn't even set this up. So we talk about Godwinks as our, our second podcast. And I had an agent reach out to me because she wanted me to speak with this new author who has a book out called Angels in the OR, What Dying Taught Me About Healing, Survival, and Transformation. So if you could read between the lines of that title – there may be an NDE just in store for this audience. I'm sure everyone is so happy. And I'm going to stop talking because I would like to introduce this wonderful guest that we have today, Trisha Barker, to the podcast. Welcome, Trisha. Oh, hey, thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Absolutely. I'm glad you can make it. And I'm glad that the stars align that you and I can talk because, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we like how things run really smoothly. And sometimes we don't even, when we don't plan, things come out even better, and I'm glad that you were able to come into our orbit to make our podcast today. Yeah, it's funny how that happens. When you kind of relax into things, life has a way of working out. It's just yeah. bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and I, I'm probably laughing a little too hard because even though I know that <laughs> intellectually <laughs> – <laughs> oh, I know. We fight. <laughs> we fight, and it blows up in our face and all of that good stuff, and God has a sense of humor for sure. Oh, my gosh, yes. In fact, even in my near-death experience, I was arrogant enough to talk back to God, and God laughed at me, so <laughs> we've got that to talk about. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sure. And and uh, I see you're a fellow educator as well. Um, I taught second grade many moons ago, and I always tell people that was my favorite job just because of the immediate feedback. Like, those kids will tell you what's working, what's not, or go home and come back and restart. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they're so loving, too. You know, that was actually one of the messages in my near-death experience was to be like a little child. And that innocence and that love and that instant forgiveness, um, you know, if we could all play with one another like that, what a better world it would be. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I don't want to jump right in the middle, so if we can rewind just a smidge and talk about a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, usually... Uh, what we found in a lot of podcasts is we have um, a so-called, quote-unquote, linear life, and then something major happens. I don't know if that happened to you or not. <laughs> but then oh, yeah. that, that kind of leads us into our life's path. And so i like for you to start a little bit about your upbringing and, and what was it like just growing up in, in the state of Texas, in the country of Texas, rather? <laughs> Right. They always talk about wanting to secede from the union, this crazy state. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I have a YouTube channel where I talk about near-death experiencers and my own, and I interview a lot of people. And when this book came out, the people who followed me were kind of shocked at how honest and raw I am in the book. But I certainly do get into my upbringing. And I grew up rather poor in East Texas and suffered a lot of emotional and physical abuse. And, and, uh, but I was a smart kid, read a lot, got into a good college. And to me, 
uh, I looked at my home life and religion as something I wanted nothing to do with. So by the time I got to college, I kind of had a bad opinion of, of people who were religious. And I was firmly agnostic, thought that we just die and go into the ground and that's it. And I don't really want to think about it. But I was also kind of afraid of that possibility of not existing. And yet I didn't find solace in religion. So there I was at college, a little bit hedonistic and having fun and materialistic, certainly. And a near-death experience was the farthest thing from my mind. I mean, you know, like that, uh, that just, it, it had to be divinely aligned because it just wouldn't have occurred any other way. But, but yeah, so I don't know if you want me to jump right into it, but I can. I can get into the moment when I had the near-death experience. Let's go there, and then I can ask you questions afterwards. All right. Well, so I was about to graduate just barely from the University of Texas in Austin. If you're not familiar with Austin, it's a party town, lots of good music, and I worked in bars and really, you know, stayed out late, and I was just barely going to pull it together to graduate, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to run this Austin 10K as a symbol of getting my life back together, and I never got up early in the morning, but that day I decided to get up early and run this race, and on the way to run the race, I was in a major collision, and I knew immediately that uh, I was not running that race. I couldn't even lift my body up to get the driver's license out of the glove box, and it's like, wow, okay, I'm really hurt. Well, it, uh, I didn't have insurance, and I waited 17 hours in the ER before someone took me into emergency spinal surgery. And I overheard one nurse talking, and, and the nurse said that one doctor wasn't going to come in because I didn't have health insurance. And I didn't think that that was allowable, but that's just what I overheard. And uh, eventually a neurosurgeon did take me in for surgery. And I remember thinking, wow, there's a, a slight chance of death here, like 17% chance of death. I read that when I signed the form and then, you know, went under anesthesia. And the next thing I knew, I was outside of my body, and this is in spirit form, and I was looking down on this incredibly bloody body. They had my back open up, my hip opened up, and I just remember thinking like, you know, the Civil War or something, you know, something so brutal. You know, when you think of people like chopping legs off and stuff, I was like, I had no idea that modern surgery would look so gruesome, you know, because I'd not seen a surgery before, but there I am looking at my body. But I also felt really excited because I realized in that moment just immediately that consciousness does not die with the body. I mean, I did not need any more convincing beyond that moment, but I was certain that this was not a hallucination. This was not a dream. I was hovering up above the surgeons. I was looking at what they were doing. I was looking at my body. And then I looked over and I saw these angels. And I, don't even, I didn't even have words uh, for angels at that time because I wasn't religious. I just thought, wow, look at those intelligent beings <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. they're really smart they're really intense they're really tall you know, that, that, that was what was going through my mind and they said to watch this and they sent this light through the back of the doctors and into my body and I knew 
that they have the power to work through this physical reality to alter it, to heal it, to assist it. And I thought, you know, even in that moment, I was like, that's fascinating. So here are these brilliant neurosurgeons, and they think that everything that they're doing is, Mm -hmm. and they are, you know, like (laughs) assisting in, in my recovery, but they didn't know that they were being helped from the other side. And I was floored, you know, that was, that just blew my mind in that moment. And, um, and then I realized that technically that was an out of body experience and it wasn't until the monitor flatlined that I was dead. And so when that monitor flatlined, I recognized that sound from other, other, uh, TV shows and movies. And I thought, Oh, the body is dead. Okay. Well, I'm done with that thing. (laughs) I didn't want to look at the body anymore. And so I flew out of the hospital room and when your spirit form, you can just think and then go. And so I went through the walls really quickly and it ended up in, in the corridor and I saw my stepdad getting a candy bar Later, that became what's called veridical perception, which is a verifiable detail in the near-death experience. And they love these, as you might imagine, because this essentially proves consciousness goes on. Well, he, I, I later asked my family, you know, after all of this was done, if he got that candy bar. And at that moment, my mother and father were freaked out. They dropped to their knees and they were praying because they were certain that I had died. And they were certain that, you know, I was not coming back. And he walks into the room with that candy bar and, you know, makes a joke. And then they all, you know, move on. But um, I saw him and thought, oh, well, you know, (laughs) wish him well. You know, I was already starting to feel really free. And a lot of people think death is scary. But even in those first moments, I mean, I just felt good. I just felt like, okay, you know, that that's over. And now this is what's occurring. And. I flew out over Austin and I began to feel this oneness with everyone. And I really think the oneness aspect of near-death experiences is so important. I think there'd be so much less crime, so much less pain in this world if we realized that we were connected with one another and that at our core were love. And I just felt this. I just wanted to honor every person that I'd ever known. And I think that usually that's what death brings is it's kind of like this wave goodbye, like, Hey, I love you. Goodbye. <laughs> you know. And so it was just like everyone I'd known in college, anyone I'd interacted with, I just wanted to go, I love you and goodbye. And that was my message of, you know, moving on. Then I transitioned into this, what kind of looked like a vast starscape and You know, I interact with a lot of researchers now, like Dr. Raymond Moody. I've partnered with him and Lisa Smart to create this Near-Death Experience Summit. And they are fascinated by the heavens. And a lot of near-death experiencers end up in this kind of star-filled, light-filled, heavenly landscape. And, And that's where it was. I was in the stars, and it just seemed vast and beautiful. And I was floating there just peacefully. And I felt the intelligence of God coming toward me. And I knew, you know, your soul just kind of knows what God is, who God is. It's just an intelligence and a love that's so profound. And God kind of flipped through my life with me and not in a terribly judgmental way, but just in a, hey, this is where you did something good. And 
hey, this is where you might have improved a little. You know, kind of like a teacher. <laughs> and, you know, you got an A here. You were really kind to some animals. And, and here you're kind of judgmental of other people. Not so good. <laughs> you know, that, uh, that was kind of the overall feeling. And for me, the theme was judgment. Um, I had been very hurt by other people's judgment. People judged me because I you know, wore terrible clothes because I grew up poor. They judged me because of my parents. They judged me for different reasons. So I grew up and kind of became judgmental. I didn't like people who didn't like the same bands and music and books and thought they were not as educated as me. (laughs) And that that was kind of silly. Like the heart of people is what really matters. And I saw that in that life review then um, that was my primary lesson. And then the the expansiveness of a near-death experience is really hard to put into words, but I'll do my best here. It's like there's many things occurring at one time, if that makes sense. So as that that life review happens, then I started getting what some people might call downloads or, or um just a wave of information and love that was changing me. But I heard certain things like love is all that matters. And I would see this in the form of words coming at me. And this was as if God was trying to nail this into my consciousness, that I never forget the words love is all that matters and remind them to go to nature and be like a little child. Like those were my essential messages to bring back. And you know, at the time, I even remember thinking, I'm, I'm still, you know, this this person who I was then, and I remember thinking, God, that sounds silly. You know, love is all that matters. How are people going to react to that? So I'm like, you know, some kind of hippie or some, you know, like, <laughs> I was like this is not going to work, God. You know, already I was kind of wondering, like, why the messages were so simple. And then I transitioned into this heavenly landscape where the grass was so deeply green colors that have maybe Kentucky grass is close to it. You know, it's just this beautiful swaying, amazing grass. And I felt even deeper peace. So then I was like, okay, I saw this as somewhat of a holding place, you know, that maybe um, we co-create in that realm, kind of the way we somewhat participate in our reality here. There seemed to be just a speedier way to, participate in your reality there not not a dream but just like a co-creation of reality and now were you in florida because i thought that was god's waiting room (laughs) Uh, no it was not florida no beaches unfortunately maybe maybe next time i'll I'll put a beach there (laughs) but um my grandfather was there in the afterlife and he looked very young someone I hardly recognized and I spent some time with him and you know there's a near-death experience researcher called Dr. Jeffrey Long and I've interviewed him a couple of times and he says that one thing that's fascinating is no near-death experiencer ever sees someone who's still alive they always see someone who's passed on and in some cases like say you know someone has a car wreck and their grandmother dies earlier that day they've seen that person without knowing that they were dead, you know, that they, they've been greeted by someone without prior knowledge, you know, or a friend that they hadn't seen since elementary school died a few years back and they didn't know. 
they'll still meet with people who are actually dead. And to people who are skeptics, you know, that's one more little bit of proof that, you know, people are meeting, you know, people who have already passed. And so I met with my grandfather, who was really the only person in my family I knew who was dead. And at some point he asked me if I wanted to keep going toward God. And God was this light that was present in all of this. And I could see, you know, the light and how strong it was. And, and I it was like, yeah, I'm definitely going towards that light. I'm an adventurous soul. I want to be closer to God. And as I was going, I felt people praying, trying to pull me back. And so I hope this gives comfort to people who pray for someone and then that person dies. They do feel your prayers. So I did feel people's prayers. And yet I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't want to come back for that. I wanted God. I wanted that love of God so desperately. And as someone who had had kind of a rough childhood, I didn't even know what love was, but I started to feel it. And I was like, oh, this is what it is. It's just so unconditional. And it just cares about me so much. And I'm so safe in this presence of God. I'm safe to love. I'm so deeply loved. There's no harm. You know, it's in this life, I think fear and pain often gets in the way of love. And there, there was no fear and no pain. It was just pure love. And that experience is so profound. You know, there's all these songs written about love, but there's nothing that compares to God's love. There just isn't. And I think, you know, as I got closer and closer to that, I didn't want to come back. And what's fascinating to me is most near-death experiencers are like that. They don't want to come back. And even if they've had a good life, nothing compares to God kind of like that Sinead O'Connor song, nothing compares to you. (laughs) Yeah. So we're brokenhearted for the rest of our lives because nothing compares to God's love. And I, I was, you know, I just felt myself changing and, and I just felt so alive and happy, even though I was dead, you know, and, and as I got closer to God, I was stopped and this barrier or this wall just, you know, appeared and God said, look down. And I saw all this, this river of souls and some of them were covered in fear, which I was like a shadow. And some of them had light around them. And I knew that light was, they were connected to God. And I knew other people were surrounded by fear, which could be depression. It could be many different things that, that prevent that light of God to come into their life. And God was like, you have to go back down and work as a teacher and remind people of their light. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm going to be a lawyer. <laughs> I'm going to make money. And I'm not going to teach. <laughs> and God just looked at me and I was like, come on, you know, I'm not. <laughs> and that was it. God laughed at me and I felt like kicked into my body. So this dark wind swallowed me up and there I was, you know, back in the the body, and they were giving me ice chips, and 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 I knew I'd had a near death experience. Like even from that first moment, I knew what happened. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That that's awesome. I, I love the journey when that when it happens, and, and and there is like some kind of some sort of sadness with everyone that we speak with that had that experience. Like you said, nothing compares to it on the earthly plane. You know. So, 
like how do I how do I get back to that? And 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 uh, some people have multiple NDEs. So would you ha- have you had uh, multiple NDEs, or would you like you know what that was enough until it's finally <laughs> over? <laughs> well, I joke. I've not gone in for any elective surgeries, you know. But I'm like, how silly, <laughs> how silly would it be if like every time I have a surgery, I have one, you know, I'm just out of body, you know. Oh look, they're they're, they're giving me boobs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, I, I'm being very silly. I hope your audience appreciates. Uh, oh, appreciates I'm super that. silly. So we do. We love that. <laughs> but um, I've had many out of body experiences. That's one of the after effects, and I've had a lot of um, meditations. You know, I think after a near death experience, you're opened up to that realm, and it's easier to connect. And so I, I tell people who've had a spiritual awakening or want to have these types of experiences and meditation practice, prayer and meditation can open you to a lot of neat experiences. When did this accident happen? This accident happened in 94. And then for the next few years, I was uh, the after effects of one are, are really pretty profound. You know, I had moments of psychic flashes and uh, suddenly I could see and hear ghosts and, you know, tried to send them back to the light. I mean, there was a lot of uh, after effects that were really bizarre. You know, like I was not the same person. Yeah, I was going to ask you because a lot of people that we've spoken with uh, there seems to be clusters around the world. So we've we spoken with people across the planet, but it seems like here in the States there's clusters. Like, uh, for example, there would be California, maybe Colorado, things like that. You're smack dab in the middle of the country of Texas. And what was that world like talking about this in a, in a, in a environment that usually frowns upon this type of subject matter? You know, that's why I waited so long to come out and and talk about it openly. But my idea, in 94, there were a couple of metaphysical bookstores in Austin, and and there were definitely, you know, unity churches and and groups. But my idea of what a psychic was or a medium was, okay, I don't want to shack by the side of the road and wear a long flowing dress and put crystals in my window. (laughs) You know, like that's not who I am. (laughs) You know, that's, that was all I could fathom that a psychic might be. And people immediately, you know, in my mother's church and other places tried to convince me that my near death experience was of the devil because I didn't have a, have one that, you know, like where I connected with Jesus, um, even though I heard, you know, some things that connect to the Bible, be like a little child and, and um, you know, love is all that matters. Those are, are ways that you can connect with the Bible. But, but people were judgmental, you know, and they were afraid. And I think they were angry, too. Like, how could this girl who was hedonistic go to heaven? I was like, what did you guys want me to go to hell? Like, so, that's kind of mean. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm all right. I was trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always well. Welcome to the other side, as they say. <laughs> so, you know, when you start the subject matter, you're like, am I alone in this world? And you know, luckily with with the internet in the past twenty years, you know, there's more and more groups, so you don't 
feel like so much like an outcast. I mean, there are people that can share those experiences with you. And I was just wondering if others around you shared similar experiences since you had started sharing your, your story. Immediately I connected with a few spiritual people, but I really did uh, know my mission pretty quickly. You know, God sent me into classrooms and I taught at the high school level. So I just shocked the hell out of a lot of high school students. And I, I told them my story. I told every single class, whether they believed or not. And it changed the energy and the mood of the classroom. I met students who'd had surgeries and had out-of-body experiences. I had, um, you know, a large um, student body from, uh, you know, various parts of the world, international students, and so different cultures look at these spiritual experiences differently, and of course, you know, Day of the Dead is celebrated in Mexico, and, and so a lot of my students told me ghost stories and told me their grandmothers, you know, who were able to talk with spirits, and, and so we just talk about these things openly, and no school district ever kicked me out for doing it. I don't think the students ever told on me. They just thought, wow, we have this, you know, weird instructor who one day she told us a, a crazy story. <laughs> That's too funny. Um, oh, so one question I want to ask is, how old was your grandfather when you ran into him during your NDE? Yeah, so when he died, he was in his uh, late 70s, and in the afterlife, he looked like kind of late 30s, but like mm -hmm. maybe he picked that time because he looked pretty handsome, you know, like kind of rugged, but he just, he looked, um, he looked good. You, you hear that a lot about uh, just NDEs or people that have experience with communication on the other side that the 30s were... We thought it was college, but in the afterlife, it's your 30s that was like your best, and, and that's where a lot of representation comes in. And I know people that have um, people that come to them that are in their 30s, and you don't recognize them because you only remember grandma's like 90 years old. And you're like, who's this lady trying to hit on me? She's like, I'm your grandma, silly, you know? <laughs> oh, that's funny. I know. And had I not had my grandfather not brought this truck that he had given our family when he died with him, I might not have recognized him. So when I saw the truck and then I looked at his jawline, I was like, oh, okay, okay, this is my grandfather. And that was a, a weird part of the near-death experience. But you're right. They they don't, why would they want to choose, you know, like their 90s? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And, and it's, it's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's just, to help us out I mean because if it's spirit right you you can it, there's a lot of different forms that you can take you know you've probably lived here before I don't know if you've seen that but this is your time that you recognize now so you don't go crazy remembering what you did in like Civil War like you said and so that's their way of saying hey you know you're not alone this is your grandpa and I still love you even though I'm a 30 year old man it's like right. a comfort level yeah right and yeah, it was comforting, definitely, and, and kind of um, beautiful that he was there to guide me because he did represent love. My dad's side of the family was a very loving group of people, and that, um, you know, he gave me comfort. Mm hmm And a little, oh, are you familiar with Neville Goddard? 
The name is familiar, so tell me more. Yes, yeah, so Neville, he was in the, uh, I believe, in the 1920s and has a million uh, people that have posted his videos, and, or not his video because he didn't have video back then, but his talks on YouTube. And so a lot of his talks were uh, with the other side and just uh, communications with some because, like your grandfather, he knew he was gone, but others are um, in limbo or they may still be in that waiting room because they're holding on to something. And he's like, hey, you know, you know, you passed on, didn't you? And, and like you said, you're seeing ghosts and you're trying to get them to the other side. Um, Neville goes into a lot of that in, in great te- in detail, so you might enjoy some of his talks on YouTube. Oh, yeah, I definitely will check that out because I was, I was kind of innocent about it all. I just know that some weird occurrences would happen and I would interact with the spirits and try to open up this portal of light and remind them that, you know, I went there and it was beautiful and it's worth going there and, and really just kind of assist them. And some definitely went through that portal and others just like were afraid of what I was saying and just, you know, went away from me, (laughs) you know, in those moments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do want to take a little sidebar because I want to give a shout out to my sister, uh, my middle sister, she had passed away three years ago, and I was reading your book about being a teacher, and I wanted to just, you know, tilt my hat off to you as far as being a teacher from teachable moments. So she passed away three years ago, and I am in that group now of, of individuals that have had others um, pass on, if you will, to put it nicely. And you had, and uh, she didn't leave a note, and I've been in a lot of groups with, I was her brother, but I've been in a lot of groups with parents and other siblings, and they didn't have a note, and they always wondered what happened or why it happened. And I believe it was after your near-death experience, you had something similar when you were living with your roommate, Phil, and you had a breakup. And if you don't mind, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about um, where your mind state was at that time. I think it was helpful for me reading it. Actually, I couldn't go to sleep after reading it because I was just mulling. I was actually thankful um, that someone had put into words what a person may be thinking about um, if they do decide to transition on their own volition. And you shared that in great detail in your book. Yeah, so um, that's was kind of a tough part to write, but I think it's very important because, like you say, there's a lot of parents who have lost um, their teenagers, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, brothers and sisters who've lost their siblings, um, and wow, it, um, yeah, suicide prevention is, is very important to me, and I, in that moment, I was very lost, and I made a choice out of great pain. I thought that, and I think this is what young people do and what people in that moment often think is, you know, this is, this is it. This is as good as life will be. I can't endure another moment. And, and I was willing to take my life, even though I didn't believe in an afterlife. I just wanted the pain to end. And this is before the near-death experience. And, and I didn't have a near-death experience after that. I just took too many pills, slept for 36 hours, and ended up waking up. And it was very uh, disappointing, you know, just, okay, I'm, I'm back here. And, you know, I've failed it at a suicide attempt. But one thing that uh, I think is very important 
for other people to know. And that was why I put it in the book is when I had my life review, God didn't look at me and like condemn me to hell for that moment. You know, like that was something I saw in my life review and God was just like, Hey, love yourself more, go out to nature, reach out to other people. Like that's the message is just, you know, to anyone who's in great pain, have hope. You know, even if you're afraid, reach out to someone, call, even your walk over to your neighbor's house. You never know. You know? <laughs> Just take a chance. Go look at the stars. Uh, do something, because I think in that moment, the pain is is overwhelming, but there is a way out. There is a way out of pain. And I, I hoped that my book might help people begin to walk out of pain. And, and one way to do that is maybe just as silly as it sounds, just to go look at the stars for a moment and go, you know, there's so much I don't understand. There's so much that might work out in ways that I can't possibly fathom at this moment. And and then for people who have lost their teenagers and lost people they love, uh, I think that there is unlimited amounts of love and mercy on that other side. And you know, that it is, it's highly, highly probable and possible that they are enveloped into just great love. Yes, 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 indeed. Thank you for that. And so it's, it's we talked about the creator having a sense of humor, because uh, we want to be in on the joke sometimes. <laughs> but, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> right, like, let me in on the joke. Why am I going through this? <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. so... It's, I guess the other word is, is grace because, you know, at least in this, um, some people say, some school of thought is that third dimension is an illusion, right, because we think that's all there is. And with, there's so much grace that we, we can get the impression that we're alone in the world um, without really realizing that, they're, like you said, we're all connected. There's so much love around you, but there's different circumstances because we don't have, you know, we when we incarnate in the third dimension, we lose the connection to the other side. So we don't really know that. And, you know, I think we're reminded when we have those NDEs such as yourself or something similar. Yeah. And then there's so much, like you said, joy and humor too. So I think, you know, even someone who chooses to take their life, they might, uh, might be laughing on some level at how seriously we're all taking it, you know, and, and debating it and talking about, I know it, that sounds weird, but, you know, there's some humor to being disconnected with this 3D form. Like over there, that seems like the deeper reality, you know, the deeper truth. And, and yeah, here we struggle. I mean, like just today I was talking with people and they were like, why did this occur? You know, can I, do I have to wait till I get up to the other side to find out why, you know, we're all going through, you know, this one little difficulty. And I thought, yeah, maybe, maybe it'll be really pretty amusing or pretty funny. You know, sometimes the people who seem to be causing you a lot of trouble or your enemies make you work harder. And that was their whole purpose. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I've joked about this, but you know, I've had some really hateful people come at me in life, and, and I'm like, you know what? They've made me be uh, more successful in some ways. Like, maybe I would have been a little bit more lazy you know, had everything mm-hmm. gone right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm glad you shared, said that uh, and shared that because, you know, I've been in environments where if, if it was, there was a medium present and, 
you can't control who comes through and Uncle Bobby comes through and you still hate Uncle Bobby for something he did 50 years ago. And he's like, I let that go so long ago. And I just want to share my love with you. <laughs> I know, I know, you know, and, and as strange as this is like, you know, different people have died along the way as I'm writing this book. And one particular aunt who in life wasn't particularly good to me, she's really my cheerleader on the other side. I do feel a connection to her and she's just happy that, you know, I'm speaking and writing and, you know, I'm sure most of the family would think, no, she is not, <laughs> but, but she is. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's it been like? Uh, it's different for everyone. I know for me, I'm a big movie fan and I'm a big music fan. And so through different communications, I can get like, that's the way I get in contact with people. Are you finding that your relationship with your aunt, is it heightened by a certain awareness that you didn't know of before? The aunt that you were just talking about? Yeah. So the mediumship thing I've just uh, grown into accepting over time, but it does seem to, like if you're picturing like a movie-like scene, it does seem to come from when I visualize it like the sky, you know, like there is this sense of another consciousness that just kind of tries to imprint its consciousness on top of mine for a moment. And and I know it to be true because say say I do this for someone I'm close to, or, you know, a student or someone, sometimes I don't necessarily like what's coming through. I'm like, that doesn't benefit me, <laughs> you know, but it's like that. <laughs> but that's what the spirit wants to say to that person, you know. <laughs> and so I have to honor that. And that's, uh, this is where probably people uh, distrust mediums because you have to be really honest, <laughs> you know, and you have to um, allow your ego to be moved aside and let that spirit say what it wants to say to that person and really honor that moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me ask you, I want to get your opinion on um, this timeline theory. So when you're born till about, you know, there's a little Freudian in here, but, you know, before you're 13, that veil is still pretty thin. So that's why children can play pretend and, you know, they may see things and something's under the bed. And then when you're an adolescent till about, you know, that that 4x4 four four hits you or an NDE hits you in the middle of your, or whenever it happens, uh, during that time, you're totally in, immersed in the third dimension. So you, you may be, like you said, jaundiced or uh, just you don't believe anything that anyone's saying. Are you, do you see with the children, like you seem like you have really, have really good relationships with them just because they're more receptive versus adults? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting thought, and I hope someday that that um, this will occur. But I would love for parents who have had kids who have spiritual experiences or who have had near-death experiences to let me interview them. I understand there's a lot, uh, you know, at stake. You know, people want to protect their kids and things like that. But I think it would be fascinating. I know there are some researchers who have, but but yeah, children... Uh, are so much more open. And and even myself, I don't know if you remember being this way, but I remember being a very open kid who could connect to faith and could connect to the energy of God and who could play in nature and feel energy. And, you know, things that are common to me now were just second nature as a kid. And it was certainly adolescence that 
wiped it all away and suddenly you know my mind was so important (laughs) (laughs) i'm kind of leading you because i wanted to get topical and so you know during your nde uh, you were you kept giving this message that love is all that matters and yesterday that they had that uh, accident in russia in that plane and there the the feedback was a lot of people died because they were attached to getting their stuff out of out of the overhead uh, file documents in overhead storage instead of just getting off the plane and the fire consumed them so i wanted wow. to get your take on that wow yeah that is i didn't hear the story but that's fascinating so people could have gotten out if they would have just left their stuff yes wow Wow. Yeah, so people are that they were getting out of the back of the plane and so, you know, people were sliding down, you know, the emergency slide and they had their bags and it, and so people were still trying to get their bags and the fire was just, had engulfed them ultimately. Oh, wow. Yeah, that that's incredibly sad. Like, yeah, we don't take anything with us but the love that we've given to this world. So not even the love that we've been given. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. But what I clearly saw, and this is where like a lot of people get confused about, you know, that message, love is all that matters. They're like, well, nobody loves me. And I'm like, well, are you out there loving anyone? <laughs> you know, are, you, mm-hmm. are, you, are you helping anyone? Are you helping an animal? Are you volunteering? Are you helping a person? Like, no, it's not how much love do you get? That's kind of narcissistic. It's, you know, how much love do you give? Do you allow to flow through you? And of course, when you allow it to flow through you, then naturally, you know, people often love you back to the best of their ability, you know, like their capability. And, you know, they might have great fear and pain and to work through. And so you have to be gentle with people. But yeah, the stuff, that's that's ironic. And that sounds like a a bad movie in a a way just to set up for um you know like people being attached to their stuff and not realizing hey your gift is your life and the love you give Mm -hmm. absolutely and talking about love that is all that matters you know today there's i mean it's always been mars venus right and and battle of the sexes but it seems even more so heightened today and uh, there seems to be more competition versus each other, or uh, or at least that's being highlighted in the news. And since you had received that message, I, I wanted to know how to, what's your overall outlook. Like the misnomer is that after an NDE, your life is just rosy until the end. And is it like that, or or what's your situation like? Oh, no. You know, definitely as a young person, I was naive and, um, you know, still had to walk through this world. And, and you know, there's danger in this world and there's there's uh, psychopaths and sociopaths and narcissists. And, you know, you're going to brush up against them, perhaps. And if you're super loving and super open, you may not know how to protect yourself, you know, from that kind of thing. And, and you know, your question is such a good one. It's I want to answer it in two parts. The first part is, I don't think men and women are that different from one another at the soul essence. I really, especially if you believe in reincarnation, we've probably all been a, a different sex at some point. And I believe that like at a soul level, we can deeply support one another and understand one another. And that's, that's what we should be doing. And then the other part of that is, uh, yeah, I mean, I write about sexual assault in the book and, and 
it made me think about living in foreign countries and then maybe even people who come to this country and are not citizens, are they more in danger of being assaulted? Are they, you know, the world is a dangerous place and you do have to walk through it as a physical being. And so I think one thing that the spiritual community lacks sometimes is they get into that, oh, love is all that matters. And and they take it in the sense of empowering sociopaths or narcissists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, no, 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 still rules apply. You know, like you don't, (laughs) you don't give someone who's really toxic power over other people, you know, in a classroom, if someone can't contain themselves, then we send them to the counselor or we send them to detention because they need extra help. We don't like make them president of the school. (laughs) (laughs) Here, why don't you have some more power and harm some more people? You know, like they're just, uh, you can look at it from a loving perspective. You're like, I have, I had three teenage girls actually who burned down a church in one um, classroom where I, I taught and, and teachers hated them. They wouldn't interact with them. They wouldn't go talk to them. I went to their little shed where they were housed outside of our school with a police officer and talked with them every day and made them write essays about, you know, introspective stuff and what they want to do with their lives and why they did what they did and how they might change. And it, it really revolutionized one of the girls' life. She became introspective enough to turn her life around. And I, I think that's that's what's important is like look at you can be loving but you're still going to have to correct some bad behaviors in this world and be aware of them <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, I think that i think for the demarcation because you're right it's there's no absolutes and it's, it shows a lot of growth because it seems like if you had run across those girls when you were younger and they didn't like the kind of music you liked you would have been dismissive Oh, yeah. You know, like, then I would have thought, oh, you know, ridiculous. But I I just looked at the soul of people, and I knew that was my mission. No matter what their political belief, no matter what their religious belief, it it didn't matter to me. I was just like, how can you be a better person? And how can I help you be a better person and a more loving person and and figure out your path in life and figure out how you want to do something good in this world, whether it's creative, whether it's, you know, in science, whatever it is, um, you know, starting a business. I just wanted to support people because I think that's what God wanted me to do is to help people be their best self, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, it, being your best self, and I'm, I'm always looking from, for hacks, like, you know, how can I make life easier or more efficient and what have you. And it sounds like a little bit that, until you go through an experience, you can't really teach from it. So would you say the same when you were talking about assault or an NDE? You can't empathize, if you will, if you hadn't gone through it? What's your take on that? Mm, Possibly. You know, there are some things I haven't been through. You know, I've had students who are the lost boys from Sudan, you know, and they, they lost their entire family. And I can listen. You know, I don't, I don't know what that's like to, you know, lose everyone in your family and come to another country and and make your way. So I think you can still have some empathy for what people have gone through. But if you have gone through something yourself, then you know all the signs and you know all the symptoms and you know the path to healing. And so you can really be a better mentor and less judgmental because, you know, there were girls and guys who had been sexually assaulted in my junior high class rooms. And 
and, you know, if they act out in sexual, you know, behavior or something, a lot of times teachers judge them for being sexually active. But I knew that this boy had been raped at seven and this girl, you know, had a, an experience when she was 12. And, you know, I knew what was going on and I could help counselors connect with them and, you know, get them help. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Vice TV? Yes, yes. Yeah, and they they have a YouTube channel as well, and and I was watching it the other day, and and they were talking about like like you were saying, um, you know these these things unfortunately are happening to children at a young age, and then they act out when they're teens or or young adults, and then they go into the prison system, and so mm-hmm. this fight episode we're talking about how uh, pimps and other predators were taking advantage of those people like uh, when when you go through a crime, I guess there's a public profile that you can see that, you know, they were in jail for something. And they were reaching out to them saying, hey, you know, this is a better life when you get out. And then they put them right back into, like, prostitution. It was just very predatory. Wow. It's horrible. Yeah. It's almost like human trafficking in a way and that people don't have a way out. And that's a cause that means a lot to me, you know, for some reason. I, you know, want to give proceeds of my book uh, to that particular cause because we all have control of our lives but when, to some degree. But when someone else steps in and doesn't have control over their own life, you know, because of being trafficked, that oh, just it floors me. Yeah, that's what made me think. I, I thought of you because I was reading the book when I had seen it. And I thought of, like, I'm a big sports fan, so I like March Madness and all. And whenever there's these big events, Super Bowl, uh, March Madness, whatever, there's always these busts of these prostitution rings of, of human trafficking because uh, they follow the, the uh, sports events because you have Pete Johns that are complicit. So, like, mm-hmm. h- how do you combat somebody that's obviously being taken advantage of and you have others that are – willing to pay for that type of service. They kind of, they go together. It's just really seedy. It is. It is. And I think, you know, you don't just free one person from human trafficking and it's a money issue. And so, you know, awareness is, well, cities have to get involved and police forces have to get involved. And a lot of times they just don't because it's a lot of money (laughs) like to, to end something like that and to, in the States and other countries, it doesn't cost as much money to free someone, you know, say in India or China, um, humans are cheaper because there's so many people, but here in the States, I think per person, you know, the legal cost and all that, it gets expensive. And, and so you have to think the more people who talk about it, the more of a priority it might be to politicians and, you know, lawmakers. Yeah, it's unfortunate, that, and I don't want to spin this narrative, but listening to you at the beginning when you were in the hospital, you 17 hours on that in the ER because you didn't have insurance, and then on this side, oh, we can't really deal with that problem because it costs too much. Uh, so what could a person listening to this podcast say, you know, I'm little old me, how can I make an impact? You know, there are so many organizations. There's even churches that spend all of their money, even in this Fort Worth area, to help liberate people from human trafficking. So if that bugs you, you know, there are definitely bigger groups to get involved with. And maybe I think one thing that, you know, say you have one group in this one area, 
other groups need to connect with the same group so that your combined effort makes a bigger difference. And, and so, yeah, I'd say just get involved. Absolutely. And, and one thing I, I found, uh, you sound like you were, I cut you off. You were going to say something? Oh, no. And, you know, the thing that hurts the most is our own pocketbook. So I, I give money to that cause. So each time I get a, a check back from the government, I give it to help end human trafficking instead of getting a new pair of jeans. <laughs> you know, back to kind, of, <laughs> kind of getting the, the things out of the overhead. So, you know, hopefully I'll appreciate it in the afterlife. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and to, just to bring some more lev- levity back, um, what I found is that with there's a lot of – I love movies, right? And so in the movies, if you go to the trailers at the beginning, right after the trailers finish and the movie before it starts, they're like, silence is golden. And so I find that in, in the, earlier in life that I always had a lot of distraction. There was TV on or radio whatever. But when it was silent, I can actually have communication or at least my awareness is heightened. And with the angels in the OR, uh, have you had revisits in the, in the, uh, since your NDE? And was it because they were put you in environments where you were quiet? Yeah, so meditation has been the most profound way, and that certainly requires being quiet. That's been the most profound way of connecting with angels. But um, but I've also felt like the presence of God can be deeply healing. So if you go to nature and you're quiet and you ask for God to work on some part of you that isn't healed or that's hurting, I feel like God literally can work miracles, you know, that God can enter someone's life. God has entered my heart and something that felt so heavy and so big was just moved aside and I felt great. And I was like, really? It's that easy? (laughs) All you have to do is ask. (laughs) Okay, I'll do this a little bit more. (laughs) That's a really good pen to put in because I, I, I think what you're talking about is faith now and Many people, even myself at times, is, oh, well, I'm not going to put my, maybe I'm not worthy to get his love, or it won't get done unless I do it. And you're saying something totally different. Yeah, that you can just hand it over to God, that you can actually ask angels, too, to help you in a situation, to give you the right energy, to give you the right uh, words, to help you help others. And so, you know, even back to that, you know, we might be overwhelmed by issues like human trafficking, but maybe that's an issue where we just give it to God and keep stepping forward. And, you know, maybe maybe many of us will make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, just the OR, angels are everywhere. It's just that that was where you met them that time. So it's just an acknowledgement of, you know, they're closer than you can ever imagine. Yes, <laughs> yes. They are, <laughs> and they are amazing. <laughs> awesome. Well, I mean, it was a, the hour flew by. I, I was like, oh, my goodness, I thought it was only 15 minutes in. I, I lost <laughs> track of time. I love that. Yeah, so it was great. Uh, you were fun to yeah. talk with. Thank you. Thank you. And I'd like other people to, to know more about you. You said you have a YouTube channel. Uh, Angels in the OR, how could they get in touch with you on that? And I believe you're going to a book signing after this. So are you doing the whole United States? Uh, what's what's going on in the future with Tricia in the near future? 
Well, I'm going to California because they kind of like angels there. So June, yes. June 6th through the 17th, I'm, I'll have a lot of events in Southern California. And uh, my YouTube channel is probably my biggest platform. Probably if you just put in Trisha Barker near-death experience in YouTube, you'll find me. And I'd love to keep up with people. Awesome, awesome. Well, you've just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homeless Perspective. This is Hamza. Shout out to David. And thanks again, Tricia. Let's stay in touch. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. Sorry if it's getting loud right now. Oh, no worries. No worries. Let's, uh, we'll be in touch. Oh, good. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.